Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Spiritual Formation Concentration at Ozark is for those who want to learn how to lead people to healing and wholeness in Jesus. The purpose of the Spiritual Formation Concentration is to dive deep into God's Word and partner with the Spirit to experience the internal change that will lead to the external change of the world. So what are the next steps? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. What's up, Disciple Makers? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Today's episode features Freedom in Christ Ministries giving their final track session at last year's forum. And you've got the founder, Neil Anderson, giving the talk. This episode sort of blew my mind in several different ways. Neil talked specifically about overcoming mental and emotional barriers. But what I found fascinating was hearing his story of switching from praying for people to encouraging people to connect with God themselves for healing. He talked about feeling like a medium and asking God to reveal to him what to say to help the person in front of him versus connecting that person with our one and only mediator, Jesus. This is an awesome episode. You're going to really enjoy it. So make sure you listen to the entire thing. So without further ado, this is Neil Anderson with Freedom in Christ Ministries at last year's forum. Here we go. You know, I, I tell you, time, time is precious, and we're, we're actually going to start, give people, kip, but if there's some questions as to what we've covered up so far, now's a good time to just talk about it. And so if you're interested and you got a question, happy to entertain it. Anything? Can't think. Overwhelmed? <laughs> it's, um, I can certainly understand that. It, yes, sir. Where do you start? <laughs> <laughs> That's really a good question. Um, what we are encouraging churches to do around the world, and if we just tried to find something uniform, is the kind of a beginning place, and that's our discipleship course. It's um, it's a conference that I used to run all over this world doing, and uh, we finally put it into a, a format that is basically a small group type of thing, or churches, or whatever else. It's just called Freedom of Christ. And, uh, and there we explain the gospel. We explain, uh, you know, who you are in Christ, what it really means to be a child of God. We explain the battle, what metal strongholds are and what the spiritual battle is and the emotional freedom, relational perspectives, uh, hammer on forgiveness. And then we give them a chance to go through the steps to freedom. It's just a repentance process. And uh, we'd say, start there. And uh, then that is not an end. That is the beginning. Um, I was telling somebody yesterday, I said, what's the best example I have of our ministry? It would be Bogota, Colombia. Um, it, it's very, very fascinating to me because this particular man w- was a huge political figure in Colombia, which can cost you your life in those days. <laughs> it's amazing he survived. Was married and had a radio TV program and that kind of stuff. And kind of went broke, and so he uh, uh, was told of this lady who could lend him probably a million bucks, and turned out she'd just become a believer through Campus Crusade for Christ, and she led him to Christ, they got married. (laughs) 
And uh, the first books they came across were Victor Over Darkness and Bondage Breaker. They were in Spanish at that time, still are. And he decided that's going to be the basis for their ministry. Now, he had a chance to start, you know, a church with the foundation of knowing who we are in Christ, etc. And uh, I didn't know any of this until I got, you know, a plea for, or an invitation to come down and speak at their 10th anniversary. At that time, the mother church was 3,000. They started seven others and had an orphanage. Spoke at the 20th anniversary, they had 35 churches and seven orphanages. And the mother church was 12,000. And um, it, it was interesting that every pastor there, every, every, uh, every quarter they have a major communion, and they all as a church go through the steps. And you just keep renewing that in their, in their life. And, um, and so forgiveness and, and our foundation in Christ was the beginning of the whole ministry. I was up in Canada at a um, big suburban type of a church, and a couple came from the inner city. And they said, uh, you know, we're launching this inner city ministry. You just thought you'd like to know that we're starting it with Victor Wardock's Bondage Breaker. And I said, well, good for you. He said, uh, well, we started reading them as a core group. And they said, this is what we want to make as a foundation for our church, you know, the foundation in Christ and what it means to walk by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, etc." He said, we're up to 120 people. A year later, I was in Toronto, and uh, I was sharing that story, and the guy was waving his hand in the back. I said, you got something? He said, yeah, we're 1,200 now. I believe that multiplication is possible, to be honest with you, but you have to get rid of the junk. You, you can't... You know, people come to church, they got both hands full of baggage of the, of the past, just unforgiveness and junk that they were raised with. And they hear a great message on the tabernacle, pick up their baggage and go back home again. Week after week after week. Where's the repentance? Where's the opportunity for it? How do I dump the garbage? How do I get rid of my past? Where am I a new creation in Christ? When, when, frankly, everything is plugging in my mind is every, everything I've done in the past. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, I don't know why this is a hard sell. That's the intriguing thing to me. I've tried to, to help uh, Christian colleges saying, you know, you're bringing in these new students. Most of them have got, you know, credible sexual experiences and problems at home and everything else. And you expect them to sit there and learn, you know, I, don't, I just don't I, I just don't think it's going to happen, to be honest with you. My experience is, is that it's going right over their head. I said, until you have some way to, to resolve those conflicts in people's lives, they're learning information. You know, what he said this morning about emotional freedom is exactly right. I come now to realize, David said, that you desire truth in the inner man. Not just out there. I said... For instance, I said, uh, you know, the hard head. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think I know what we're talking about, so I guess it's okay language. But I said, a guy by the name of Wheeler, probably 100 years ago now, an old book, uh, actually went through all of Scripture and found every use of the heart relating to personality and human condition. About 800 times it was. You ready for this? This is really interesting. He found out that 205 times the heart referred to the faculty of reason. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 195 times is related to the will. 165 times to the emotion. Think about that for a moment. So don't think of your heart as the seat of your emotion. 
It's the center of self. But here's, here's the real truth. <clears throat> Only in the heart, essentially, does the mind, emotion, and will converge. When truth enters into the heart, it affects the affect and it drives the will. We're trying to expand the mind. God wants to expand the heart. You can expand your mind at any school and just have a pile house of data. Never touch the heart. Same person you were before. That's what he's talking about in emotional freedom out there. I said, you go home today and you listen to some good music and you're talking with a friend that you drove here with. You're tuning it out. Your ears are hearing it. Let's say it's really good praise type of a tape and, and you're hearing it. It's coming to your ear, but you tuned it out. We all have the capacity to dissociate, whether we know it or not. <clears throat> I mean, I used to hear it all the time. Earth to kneel, earth to kneel, you're out in your garden again. And, <laughs> and, or the kids are fighting the other room. Why don't you say something? What's going on? <laughs> you know, tuned it out. So that lasted all my whole marriage, you know. Couldn't hear or wasn't listening. Which one was it, you know? So go down and get some hearing aids. Well, the truth is I wasn't listening. But... Uh, <clears throat> but here's the point. It's interesting because all of a sudden there's a lull in the conversation and you tune in. And suddenly the music has an impact on you. Are you, are you listening to this? Tears could come down your eyes. You just allowed it to enter your heart. Somehow or another, if we could master that concept of... of of allowing the truth to enter our heart, the inner man. We transform people's lives. But I've just seen intellectual people, they know the Bible front and backwards, and, and there's, you look at them, and I don't see any evidence of Christ in them whatsoever. So if we would just know the truth. I said, I'll tell you, when you've moved from growing to some sense of maturity, when you really discover that truth is a person, that the word is a person. If it's just an intellectual concept, you're not there. He is the truth. He is the word. You read Proverbs and you wonder, why are they talking about wisdom with personal pronouns? I didn't fall in love with the Bible. I fell in love with God. This is not just an intellectual pursuit. I appreciate what she said, and I totally agree with her today. But the whole purpose of the Bible, if we make knowledge an end in itself, you'll distort the purpose for which it was written. The purpose for which it was written is to fall in love with God and uh, to personify that wisdom. And uh, so, you know, if truth never enters the heart, you know, I was there. Folks, I mean, you know, <laughs> I was this aerospace engineer. Um, when God took me through my broken experience, when I lost everything I had, I was chairman of the practical theology department, didn't know whether my wife was going to live or die. We literally lost everything we had. We, we lost our house. We got, couldn't afford the expenses. Went down, boom. And uh, God brought Neil Anderson to the end of his resources. And I had a lot of them. Five earned degrees, two doctorates, good position, 
clean-cut guy, but I had no idea how my self-sufficiency at that time was my greatest enemy to my sufficiency in Christ. Didn't even see it as sin, almost saw it as a badge of honor. I can tough this out. And God showed me I couldn't. And uh, so he took it all away, gave it all back. But uh, <clears throat> we don't talk much about brokenness anymore, but it really is the key, folks. And uh, you say, well, how do I make it happen? I said, no, you let it happen. You actually let it happen. You know, our ministry is really unique. Isn't it? <laughs> we don't advertise. We don't charge for counseling. Um, we've never been into self-promotion. Well, how did you get into 40 countries? <laughs> I, I, it's not where our heart is at. I said, it's, it's, it's a changed life that makes every difference in the world. And... Um, you know, people call me, how much does it take to cost you to get you here? I said, whatever you want to give. And uh, you never put a price on ministry, in my estimation. And, uh, and you promote Christ and Him crucified. Let me just share this. Evangelical Free Churches of America have a ministerium once a year, and about a week long. It's continuing education kind of a thing. It's voluntary if they want to come. I was their speaker for a week, and we went through all of this. And the guy comes up to me and he hands me this little card. You have been his salt in my life. Thanks. And uh, it's a salt shaker with little lambs coming out. <laughs> Cute. Anyway, um, he said, the card is true. God has used you in my life, my marriage, my ministry. I want to thank the Lord for you and the materials you created. It's wonderful to use something that works with all sorts of people, all sorts of problems. There's an answer for Christ is all and in all. I stumbled onto your material a year ago last October. I used it for Sunday school. God was using it to prepare us for working with a severely demonized man. In preparing for the steps with him, the elders and I went through the steps first. Strongly recommend that. <laughs> ah, I personally had the bondage to sin broken in my own life. He was struggling with lust. As a result of it, my wife found freedom from her family's occultic background I'm in a new church now, just moved in in November. Not much happened in the first two months, but without advertising or promoting, God has sent over 12 people and me in January to go through the steps. Been a great work of God in people's hearts. Two of the elders resigned to get their lives straightened out. One has been having an affair for the last two years. He told me that his hypocrisy didn't bother him until I came. Well, <laughs> it was the Lord, not me. I'm honored that God has utilized me to touch lives. I'm taking him and his wife through the steps this next Thursday. Took the other elder and his wife through the steps last week. He had bondage to pornography, masturbation, strip joints when he's on business trips. It was wonderful to see both find their freedom and renew and deepen the relationship. What a joy and privilege to encourage people as they go through the steps. One of our Sunday school teachers has been experiencing nighttime terror and demonic dreams. Through God's chance events, she told my wife about the difficulties. I took her and her husband through the steps two weeks ago. We came to forgiveness. I had to teach, exhort, encourage her for over an hour. I had to physically put the pencil in her hand. Took another 30 minutes to write the first name, but eventually she made a decision, went for it. God is so good. The next Sunday, there was so much joy and peace and freedom on the face of both her and her husband. That's no training. I don't know this guy. In one sense, that's how easy it is. But here's the other question. How good can a church be if you've got two elders who are sexually addicted and the pastor himself struggling? You know, Can we rise above that? No, we can't, I don't think. I said, after we've been trained, you know, we'll be like our teacher. And so the question is, how do we get out of this kind of stuff? I mean, what is, what is God's design in this? Well, 
We're in a section here called role responsibilities. If you look at that for a moment. Uh, let me give two brief things before uh, on last session I never got to. I said, over the years of helping individuals around the world, there are two primary, <laughs> stand way above all the others. And the biggest one to me is forgiveness. Um, is the need to forgive other people around us. And, and, and if you, we don't have a handle that, truth of the matter is you want to disciple somebody, you don't know how to help them forgive from their heart, you are absolutely stuck dead in the water. They're not going to go beyond that. It'll keep coming back to that. And uh, <clears throat> truth is, you want this person to live right with God, and God himself says, I'll turn them over to the tormentors if they don't forgive from their heart. There you are. Is that because God is vengeful? No. He's, that's a disciplinary thing. But he says, I know you can't go on. You're in bondage to the past. I heard people in churches say, I'm a new creation of Christ. The past doesn't have any effect on me. Well, just look at forgiveness for a moment. If you, if you as a Christian aren't going to forgive as Christ has forgiven you, you're stuck. You won't sleep at night. Um, you, you're stuck. And uh, that should be the most consistent thing taught in our churches, in my estimation, in helping people. But you, you, if you're trying to disciple somebody and you've never helped him forgive the list of people in his past, you're just gathering information. And uh, God ain't going to tolerate that. So that's the biggest one. The other one is just sex. Jeez. I can't believe how that just comes up again and again and again. I, you know, if Satan was manifested in our presence, he'd be 95% genital. I mean, it's just... Uh, it, it's just unbelievable. You know, I, when uh, <clears throat> my first edition of the book came out, I, I watched a program called 60 Minutes and uh, on adult entertainment, and I thought, oh, I want to watch this. It was in 60 Minutes. So I said, I better... That's the only program in television I've ever downloaded the hard copy of it because I was so astonished by the data that they had. At that time, this is, you know, turn of the century type timing. And at that time, if you put the word sex in a search engine like Google, you got 180 million hits. 180 million? What are they? And uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I sent the information over to England and I was going over to do some work. And uh, our English director, he's, he was just curious. So he put the word sex in and he said, I had to change your thing. It's, it's 360 million now. When I sent the book off to the publisher a little later, they changed it to his right under a billion. I won't do that. I don't know about you, but I won't put my word. <laughs> I don't want it on my computer. So, <clears throat> but I thought, what in the world are all those sites? You know, it just dominates our culture. And, and right now, I said, we're just caving as a church to this whole new progressive concept of, you know, have you decided yet whether you're a man or a woman? I said, yeah, I looked in the mirror. And, uh, <clears throat> and but we're, we, that's, that's intolerable today. I mean, unbelievable, isn't this crazy? Can you believe what's happening? We've lost our minds. Well, that's exactly what he said in Romans chapter one. Just go down it. Worship the creation rather than creator. God gave them over degrading passions, burning lust one for another. They still wouldn't do it. So what happened? The whole homosexual thing came on the scenes. 
What's the next step, folks? Depraved mind. Devoid of logic. Can't reason with them. That's where we're at. If God is judging our country, read it, Romans chapter 1. You can just see the progression and go down to where we're at. Now, I hurt for these people. You, the homosexual community, truth is, I said, you can put them into three camps. They're changing pretty fast, actually. But you have the, you know, the uh, uh, angry ones, you know, that are out to get you and have a gay pride, you know, they wear it on their sleeve, they're mad at you. Chances are you're never going to touch those people. And, uh, you know, don't doubt what God can do, but truth of the matter is, you know, but don't put all of them in that category. you got another whole middle ground of people who are quiet about it, you know, and that first group wants to out that group. So I think that's what happened to Anderson Cooper, for instance. I think he probably would be satisfied to stay as he was, but they outed him and others, that they do it. Then you have another third, don't like it, frustrated by it, some of those are sitting in your churches, and you present a good message of what Scripture has to say about it, and they walk out condemned. So just stop it. You know, that kind of stuff going on in our churches is, well, just confess it. They probably have every night for the last 10 years. You've got to have a better answer than that, folks. And... Uh, you know, or you're just going to drive them out because, you know, they, you, all they go to church and all they do is feel condemned. Now, you got to hold on to that standard. Don't let go of that. But, you know, if you want to be salt and light, then you need to recognize that you pour salt in a wound. What kind of reaction are you going to get? Well, you turn on the light with the understanding that men love darkness more than light. So they're going to turn on you. That's where we're at, folks, in this country. But we are the salt and the light, and we cannot lose that. We cannot stop being salt and light. But you better be harmless as dove and wise as serpents. You better know how to engage people who have these kind of struggles in a way to say, would you like to resolve this? Can I help you get out of it? And, uh, and that's what I want to, want to share with you. But just look at the sexual thing for a moment. I, my whole concept you know, began to turn on this thing when I realized something very true. Romans chapter 6 is your emancipation proclamation. I mean, if you want your victory chapter, it's Romans chapter 6, we identify with Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. All that's time, all he's saying, knowing this, knowing this, it's what God has already done. You cannot do for yourself what God has already done. Then it changes to my responsibility. Therefore, do not allow sin to reign in your mortal body. Rule is the word. Sin rule. Now, how am I going to do that? Don't use your body as an instrument of unrighteousness. There's one negative, two positives. But present yourselves to God. Dedicate yourself to God. And your body as an instrument of righteousness. Now, can you commit a sexual sin without using your body as an instrument of unrighteousness? No. So what's just happened? You've allowed sin to reign there. How'd you resolve it? I confessed it. Didn't resolve it, did it? Okay, right now it won't. Confession is the first step to repentance, but it is not repentance. So we're in the sin, confess, sin, confess, and we'll just keep doing that. And, um, well, in our steps, what we have them do is ask the Lord to reveal to our mind every sexual use of our body as an instrument of unrighteousness. God does. Try it once. It's really amazing. And, uh, and for each one, Lord, I have renounced having sex with that person and ask you to break that bond. What bond? 
Well, if you join yourself to harlot, you become one flesh. Now, you could have a person come in and never know anything about this kind of stuff. And, uh, and all of a sudden, all that stuff just comes up. We're going to share how in just a moment or so. Uh, but I was asked to, to, uh, to write a, an interactive article for some journal. So he's going to ask me questions. It was online. We were answering best before. He said, okay, here's your situation. you got a 21-year-old college student. He's deeply depressed. He had a very abusive parent. And, um, and he's kind of suicidal and not doing very well. He comes in to help. How would your system work with that guy? I said, well, first of all, I said, you need to realize that this person's self-esteem is down in the mud someplace. That's a given. Nobody goes in to see a counselor or a pastor feeling really great about themselves. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know, that's in the industry. That's a given. But that's a symptom. That is not the cause. And I said... Um, Secondly, if you know Scripture well enough, you realize, I really want to help this person. I'm going to have to help him forgive his father. That's the absolute bottom line, gut level. If, he, if he's going to sit there and be plagued by his father the rest of his life like that, he, he's stuck. I said, uh, so let's say I sat down and helped him forgive his father. And let's say it was successful. I mean, he forgave him from his heart. I mean... You would see a transformation, you would see a look on his face, and you have really helped him. Have you done enough? What if he prayed and asked God who he needed to forgive? Dad comes out first, which it will um, almost every time, but another 20 come out, and he forgave his dad, not the other 20. How much have you helped him? Some? Much, probably. But not as much as you could have. Let's say uh, he's 21 years old, a college student. What's the chances he's been sexually active? Pretty close to 100%, folks. Never dealt with that, did you? So sin is still reigning in this mortal body. You see where I'm going with this? Now, that person, it would take me the rest of my life just to have some sense of I understand you, you know. God knows everything about them. That's God's child you're working with. Why did we leave him out of the process? But we have. We've sat down, and it's me trying to help you. And uh, so <clears throat> look at this page here for a moment. Let me say that I think in God's mind there is a real line. And on this side is what is God's sovereignty. You can teach it, but you can't do anything about it. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God is sovereign. On this side is man's responsibility. Now, whether you're Calvinist or Armenian, doesn't make any difference to me. Because truth of the matter is, both recognize, both are taught in Scripture. Agreed? God is sovereign, but we have responsibility. Now, <clears throat> the point is, can I, on this side over here, can I pray and ask God to do for me what he told me to do? Mm, you're behind in your studies, so I'm going to put the text under my pillow and pray that God will study for me tonight. <laughs> you're going to fail that test. And uh, it's, it's an interesting question to me because, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, in God's sovereignty, he's laid out that blueprint pretty clear to me. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so you got a problem person in your church, and well, many Christians get together and pray that God will remove them, and he gets elected chairman of the board. 
were president of the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> I said, uh, but God, don't you care for your church? Well, sure he does. He loves his church. It's his body. But whose responsibility was it to go first in private? And then if they don't repent, bring two or three others. And what if you don't do that? Will God bail us out? I've not seen it. I haven't seen it. Still waiting for us to do what we were supposed to do. And uh, spiritual warfare, boy, there it gets really interesting because some teenager has some experience in his room at night that frightened him. Oh, God, do something. Nothing happens. Why not, God? You're all powerful. You could put a stop to this. Well, why aren't you helping me? Maybe it's because I'm not a Christian. That is the mental and emotional state of almost every person that I've had a privilege to work with. Questioning God's love, questioning God's presence in their life, questioning their salvation. You don't think so? Talk to them. It's really interesting to me. Well, why didn't God do something? He did. He defeated the devil, disarmed him, made you a brand new creation in Christ, sat you with Christ in the heavenlies, equipped you with the Holy Spirit, gave you the rule book for life. But whose responsibility is it to submit to God and resist the devil? Whose responsibility is it to put on the armor of God? What if you don't? He said, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. What if you have? You're supposed to take every thought captive to the beating of Christ. What if you don't? There will be no negative consequences of that? Well, of course there will be. How can there not be? Clearly divine to us in Scripture. So, you know, it's there for us if we'll understand it. Now, recognizing the fact that there's a sovereign role that only God can play, and I have a responsibility, now you bring it down to a triangle. In your little book here, see my triangle right here. And uh, I... I live my life this way. I, I really do. And I surely do ministry this way. That uh, when I sit down with another person, I do it with the understanding that God is omnipresent. We worship God, not because God needs Neil Anderson to tell him who it is. I need to keep the divine attributes of God fresh in my mind. Worshiping God is ascribing to him his divine attributes. That's what it is. And, and so... You know, when I realize, when I sit down, God is present. He's present in this room right now. I'm going to do the best part that I can to do my part, but I'm expecting God to do something in your heart I can't do. And uh, so when I sit down, I think in my mind there's three present. There's God. I'm an encourager. They're an inquirer. And uh, so when I look at that, every side of that triangle is a relationship. Most important to me, my own personal relationship with God. That's critical. I got to be right with God. I got to make sure the junk in my life has been dealt with, et cetera, before I go in and try to help somebody else. You know, so you look at the mirror, you know, take a good look at what you see. Don't judge another person. Take this back out of your own eye, that kind of a thing. So I want to make sure my relationship with God is right. Now, very important how I relate to that other person. And this is where basically secular counseling has camped for years because when they sit down with another person, they don't have a triangle. They have a flat line. Now, if you end up in the emergency room and the screen up there is flat, what are you? 
you're dead. Now, I say that painfully and not, not arrogantly, folks. There's no God in their, in their life or process. And so the only two players to them are God and themselves, are God and this other person. And so they developed all kinds of skills like accurate, empathy, congruence, genuineness, concreteness. Those are just pastoral skills. There's nothing wrong there. Don't be critical of that kind of stuff. The purpose of that is, is so that I can develop this trusting relationship with you and pull out your story. And uh, now, so very important how I relate to the other person, especially as believers. We need to accept one another as Christ has accepted us, forgive one another, and all those, those kind of issues. But what am I actually trying to accomplish? I'm trying to help this person get back into a righteous relationship with God. God has given the church one major ministry, other than go and make disciples, but in the process of doing that, what's the ministry? God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile this person to God, remove the barriers to their intimacy with God. That makes sense to you? So what's critical here is their own personal relationship with God. We're all in this mess because of the fall. Are we not? The whole world. What's God's answer? <laughs> it's really simple to me. Get back into a righteous relationship with God to restore what happened in the fall to restore a broken humanity. Don't just look at the judicial part of it, God died for my sins, but look at a loving father who sees a dying humanity and wants to come and give them life. That's a more accurate picture to me of my heavenly father. Not a vindictive God, I'm going to beat you up if you don't do this for me. But uh, I love you, and I sent my son to die in your place, was resurrected that you may have new life, and I've defeated the devil, so I want you to be able to live a life that's productive and free. It's for freedom that Christ set me free. And uh, <clears throat> now, here's the big one, though. Okay. Ask yourself the question, in terms of that triangle, who is responsible for what? Each has a responsibility. God's going to take care of him. I'm trusting God. He will be all that he said. His word will never change, etc. I have a responsibility, but so does this person that I'm working with. Apart from which, if they will not assume, I can't help them. Now, when you think about it that way, if your whole concept of ministry is really practically this, I mean, you may have your mind something different, but it's me, I'm going to disciple you. I'm not trying to build my life into you. I'm trying to build the life of Christ into each other. You don't need my hang-ups and experiences, but I want to build the life of Christ in my own life as well as the people that I'm living. But uh, uh, when you usurp God's role in people's lives, what happens? Do you ever apply, try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life? How'd that work? <laughs> Are you staff? Or your children, for that matter? It's really interesting. Uh, so in process, if, if I'm understanding this properly, when I sit down with another person, I'll tell them this every time. What's going to happen here today is not what I do. It's what you do. 
I can't repent for you. I can't believe for you. I can't forgive other people for you. I, that's your responsibility. It's not mine. I would love to believe. I would love to assume responsibility for somebody else. Well, if you won't do it, I'll be responsible for you. Can you be responsible for somebody else? No, you can't. Can you believe for somebody else? Why would you sit there frustrated? Why would you just believe this? Well, I'm struggling with it. Okay, I'll believe for you. Can't. Can you? So, here's where it gets interesting then. Uh, I don't play God's role in people's lives. I don't point out sin in people's lives. Now, I may do that if I'm trying to bring about church discipline. That's a different thing. But if I'm sitting down trying to help a person, you know, get established alive and free in Christ, I don't point out people's sins. Uh, I haven't in years, years. Primarily because the problem is if I point out sin in your life, you know, my battle now is, is yours is with me. God convicts you. Your battle's with God. Here's what's neat about the conviction of God. When it comes from God, the power to change comes with it. It does. I've seen it. And uh, now, so let's look at the role of the person that I'm trying to help. This is a good way to illustrate what I'm talking about, who's responsible for what, and how easy it is to not see this. Uh, but having done doctrine and ministry classes for pastors, I'll have them exegete James chapter 5. And I said, because there's one place in the Bible that says you for sick or suffering, what to do, isn't it? One very definitive place. And so I said, give me a five-page paper as you exegete this passage. And every pastor has trembled a little bit thinking about the fact somebody in my church is going to call the elders and probably primarily me. And, and the effective fervor of prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And they're going to be healed if I've got enough faith. <laughs> and you feel like, uh, help me out here, God. I said, but you know what I get in those papers? I get, you know, one or two pages trying to figure out what the oil is. <laughs> What's the purpose for the oil? And if it is important, would 1030 work? Or if it's virgin oil from the Garden of Eden or something? <laughs> it's just, you can go off on tangents, it's crazy. But then the other part of it is, is the place that prayer place. Now, this is very predominant in all of our ministries around here right now, you know, and I'm all for that. You know, don't get me wrong when I say this thing. But the focus is on the prayer of the righteous man. What did they overlook in the paper? And we've all done it. How does this passage start in James chapter 5? If any of you are sick, let him pray. Now, why would it start there? Because I can't do your praying for you. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe in intercessory prayer, but it's not to take away the responsibility to pray yourself. Think of it this way. You're a parent, you have two boys, and the younger brother's always asking the older brother, go in and talk to dad if we can go to the movies tonight and have $10. Now, <clears throat> you're a good parent. Would you accept that? What would you say? Go back and tell your brother to come in here himself if he wants to go. 
Would you accept a secondhand relationship with one of your children? Do you think God does? I don't think so. So let him pray. When I started to realize that, here's my own journey on this regard. When I left the pastor to teach the Talbot, I went there with this huge burden. I had problems in my churches that I didn't have adequate answers for. And so, you know, here I'm going as a professor. I'm going there as a learner. I mean, I really am. And I started this Master's of Theology elective, you know, and, uh, and during that time, I tell you what, God took me through that next 10 years is amazing. Um, but I, God was sending me all these hurting people. I'm not a professional counselor, never have been. And, uh, but God was sending me all these hurting people. I mean, all kinds of problems, eating disorders, all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, I would talk with them, and I would get stuck, and I'm saying, you know, Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask. God will give you that wisdom. And so I'd stop and pray. I was always honest with folks. I'm t- I don't know the answer. I know God does. But if you're willing to stick with me, we'll keep searching Scripture until we find something for you. And um, so I'd stop and pray out loud with them and say, well, God, give me wisdom here and where to go, you know, to proceed. And one day I started to think, I'm asking God to tell me so I could tell that person. That would make me a medium. (laughs) And there's only one intermediary between God and man. Why don't I have them pray? I'm telling you, within a year, my whole ministry went like this. And uh, I remember sitting one day writing down, you know, little prayers, little petitions that they could pray. Because we don't know how or what to ask for, to be honest with you, Scripture tells us that. And so they would pray and ask God. Now, I mean, I sat on this for quite a while, and finally one day I pulled out a couple of sheets and, and just tried it with somebody, and they were telling me about their overbearing mother or dad or something like that, and I said, would you just pray here and ask God to reveal to your mind who it is that you need to forgive? <clears throat> 20 names would come up, names we hadn't even talked about before. And, uh, and the sexual thing, I would have them pray and ask God to reveal to their mind every sexual use of the body. Out would come affairs. <laughs> it was just amazing. And I, I started to wonder, where have we been all these years? You know, it's just, I'm dealing with God's child. God is present in all of our lives here. And what I'm trying to do is connect them to God and let God be the wonderful counselor, the convictor of sins, and, the, and let the Holy Spirit lead us into all truth and all the stuff we, we hold on to and believe. But in practice, we don't actually integrate it. And uh, so, you know, I sat on this for a long time. I mean, I'm, I really did. I just kept one person after another, and God just kept sending me all these people, eating disorders, ritual abuse victims, and, you know, unbelievable. I'll tell you one story that was really kind of fascinating. was uh, uh, There was an eating disorder unit right outside of Bible University. Most of the people going there were Bible students, undergraduate students. And uh, one of them came over to see me. And uh, so I heard her story and had her do a couple of things. We came back again, led her through the steps to freedom. Her counselor had her write a paper of why blaming the devil for her problem absolved her from her responsibility to get well. That's an interesting half-truth. That's partly right. You know, I, I don't let anybody blame somebody else, you know, for their responsibility to get well. But that wasn't the problem. The girl was trying to tell her, I think I'm in a spiritual battle, and he disavowed it. Well, God set her free. 
That was one of the first experiences I had that really tied into Romans chapter 7. I know that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. You ever wonder why these girls cut themselves? Why they defecate? They believe there's evil present in them. Someone tell me they want to cut off their heart or want to purge themselves. Why do you defecate? There's evil present in me. Well, defecating, cutting yourself, take care of that evil? Of course not. So I learned with that, that and a few others, I said, just say this after me. I renounce cutting myself as a means of cleansing myself. I trust only in the cleansing work of Christ. They break down and cry. One gal was a graduate of Wheaton. She said, I can't believe the lies I believed. I just started to realize after a while how truthful Scripture really honestly is. And, uh, but when they would pray and ask God, suddenly you were connecting them to God. It was like God was sitting in the room right now, presently guiding the whole thing. I'm just a facilitator. I'm just, just exercising, really, a ministry of reconciliation is what I'm doing. Disciple Makers Podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So learning to have them pray, just it, it just changed everything. Uh, this is really a funny thing. Here in town, New Song Christian Fellowship, pastor heard me at Four Square Church years ago in California, came back, it's been a hallmark of their church for many years. And uh, so when I moved in here, I found, out, found that out. And I went over and just did some afternoon things with their staff. And uh, another guy, a musician, fairly well known in this area, came in, he heard this whole presentation on this, what I was talking about right now, and he came up afterwards. He said, I've been looking all over town for you. Will you pray for me? Well, I said, I'd be happy to. But you just heard what I said, but I said, uh, let me help you another way. So I took the steps of freedom. I said, just to check something out, read through this last declaration right in here. Oh man, we, he was starting to get dizzy and disoriented and everything else, and so, I met with him personally, and uh, and God really, truly set him free. He, he offered his services to our ministry, whatever else. Good guy, really good guy. But uh, it, that mindset is there. If I could just find somebody else to pray for me, that'll solve all my problems. Now, don't leave here and say, I don't believe in intercessory prayer. <laughs> that, that's not the point. The point is, is that we all have the same access to our Heavenly Father. And... Uh, we, we need to be where the disciples were at. What they asked Jesus? Teach us how to pray. Read Liberating Prayer. I go into quite a bit more depth on that in terms of, I actually come to a point in my own personal life 
where prayer for me is a lot more about listening than speaking. It's supposed to be a dialogue. But I've learned to sit in the presence of God and just sit. I wonder what would happen if the church, every church had an hour of prayer if we spend the first 45 minutes just listening. Would the last 15 minutes be a little bit more effective? I know it would be. Uh, let's pray. And everybody starts talking. And, um, but, you know, I can't talk for four hours a night. But I can sit there. You know what, how you can tell your spiritual condition right now? Just get totally alone. See how well you tolerate silence. Be still. Know that I'm God. <laughs> I don't want to have any conviction here, but it's, it's an interesting thing to me. Do you have that peace? Just peace. In the midst of a storm, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives unto you. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. They'll heal the wound superficially. There's no peace. But boy, to discover that peace of God, you find that value, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You could give me a new house, I wouldn't give it up, folks. Yeah, I said, it's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And once you have that, that's the emotional healing he was talking about. And it's priceless, absolutely priceless. And it says, uh, uh, <clears throat> and James, is he among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. Who does he put that responsibility on to? And why does he use the word must? We don't like to use those words. You've got to do this. You must do this. You know, we, you know that sounds kind of dictatorial in a way, but, but I think there's a very important point there. We will never see health, wholeness, completeness in our churches until we help people understand that bottom line, that's your responsibility. Isn't it? I mean, we've heard cliches of that in the past. You've got to assume your own responsibility for your own attitudes and actions. And then we kind of brush over that. But the truth of the matter is we, we need to help people realize that. I can't be healthy for you. I can't eat for you. I can't sleep for you. I can't, I can't do that. But I, I can help you. I can try to model a life for you. I can tell you what I think is the truth. I said, is there any benefit for living a righteous life health-wise? Sure, I'm 110, for instance. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I believe there is. I, be I believe there is. I believe if you live a righteous life and you, and you have mental peace, you're going to be healthier than the average person. And if you learn to learn how to exercise and rest and diet and eat the right things, you're going to be a lot better off in life. I mean, it's really a holistic kind of a thing. And so take care of your health. I'm actually very fortunate. I'm 89, 79 years old. I take one prescription medicine. medicine one prescription medicine. And uh, that's why I don't have to get up two hours every night. <laughs> Rats. Anyway, third point. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. Follow the order. Scripture has an order to it and it has it for a purpose. When is that person healed? Because of the effective prayer of a righteous man? No, they're healed because they have gotten right with God. They have confessed their sin. This lady calls me from Boston. I was living in California, and I have had deep spiritual problems. You know, if I flew out, would you help me? I, I gave her half a day as she came out and had her read something before she come. And uh, she came in, and she threw a verse at me. Uh, 3 John 2, 
Blessed, I pray that you'll prosper in all your ways and be of good health. She said, why aren't I prospering? Why isn't God giving me good health? And I'd heard her story. I said, well, honey, you've tried to dry out with drugs three times. You've had two abortions. I wanted to say it, but I kept it to myself. I think the verse is working. She was prospering as her soul was prospering. How's your soul doing? And uh, we got caricatures in the church today, just disturbing. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of my heart. Oh, I'll claim as a promise. He'll give me the desires of my heart. Wait a minute. What's the order? First, delight yourself in the Lord. You know what will happen if you do that? Your desires will change. You don't delight yourself in the Lord. What do you think your desires are? It's all flesh. Can't satisfy it. Poor girl, she had just lived a, a wasteful life. And so I helped her as much as I could that particular day. But I said, uh, you know, the whole prosperity gospel. I said, come on, folks, this is not crass materialism. That's nonsense. What would you exchange for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control? A new car? Promotion at work? That's the lie of the world. But you can have that. Every child of God can have that. And, and deeply, that's what the soul wants more than anything else. You got love, you got joy, you got peace, you got patience, you got kindness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a result of your laboring, it's God's laboring. So, what's my role? That's their role. If they don't assume that, how much are you going to help them? I don't think you are. So you cope, you get along and keep limping along. Let's look at our role, 2 Timothy 2.24. Look how the Lord prepared the 12. You know, one of the best books, I, I, I love Coleman, by the way. I used that book so many times over the years, you know, Master Plan of Evangelism. But the other one that just really had a major impact on my life was The Training of the Twelve. Uh, it's over 100 years old, but I just thought, gosh, this guy had wisdom. And uh, uh, it's, it's an old, old classic. And um, some of the students didn't like it because English, old English is kind of tough to read through, but gosh, it was an insightful book. And uh, anyway, when you look at how the Lord, you know, prepared the 12, you know, he perfectly selected the 12 and they just followed him around. And then he got to a certain point where he was going to send them out, Luke chapter 9 and then later the 12 or the 70 in the next chapter. But he first thing he said to them, I've given you authority and power over demons. First thing he said to them. Uh, when the 70 came back, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. I don't have time to explain that I do in the bondage breaker. I said, but that's a lost teaching of the church. You can't delegate responsibility without authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on this earth. Go therefore. And we start with a go therefore. You better start with the previous verse because you need to know if you're commissioned to do something, you have the authority to do it. And every child of God has that authority because of your position in Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 and 2 is trying to tell you, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Here's a gal that was ritually abused, as it turned out. We didn't discover that at first, but she was referred to me. Oh, by the way, the counselor, she'd been seeing this counselor for four years, and he called me and said, I've never given any place for the demonic, but maybe that's what's going on here. Could you give some assessment? Poor gal had CAT scans and EKGs and you name it. I went over there and I said, oh, honey, there's a spiritual battle going on for your mind. She said, praise God, somebody understands. 
Well, there was a pentagram cut into her skin. Now, if you don't see it there, you ain't going to see it anywhere. This girl was actually switching at that time. Almost always you deal with cases 20 years after the fact. She was switching at that time, coming in with cuts on her skin, whatever else. Large girl, kind of unkept, you, you know, softball was her love. And, and uh, first time she comes in to see me, we start talking, and she gets out of her chair and starts walking towards me. This 220-pound lady. <laughs> what would you do? I said, I'm a child of God. You can't touch me. 1 John 5, 18. I'm not saying that to the girl, folks. I said, I'm a child of God. You can't touch me. Sit down. She didn't. Now, can I say this with respect? The authority that we have in Christ does not increase with the volume of your voice. If you're screaming and shouting and yelling, you are not exercising God's authority. You are undermining it. It's no different than parental authority. You may think you're controlling your kids by screaming and shouting and yelling and everything else at them. You are not exercising your God-given parental authority. You're responding in the flesh. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. And you just take your place in Christ. You just calmly take your place in Christ. And uh, so we sat and we worked on, worked through it with her. You never have to lose control, even the most severe cases like that. You never have to lose control. You can just deal with the person, help them assume their responsibility. Eventually, if this person is going to be free, it's they who have to submit to God. It's that person who needs to resist the devil. If I'm doing it for them, they're just going to keep coming back to me. I'll give you another illustration of this around the country, by the way. <clears throat> I used to ask all the time in major conferences. Two questions. One. How many have been awakened sharply at a precise time of night, like 3 o'clock in the morning? Boy, I used to wonder what in the world that was. And, uh, and no matter where I've gone, it's been at least a third of the hands have gone up. Well, the next question is, how many have had this experience? You're awakened, terrorized at night, uh, and you've, you could have felt like a pressure in your chest, maybe something grabbing your throat, and you tried to respond, and you couldn't say anything. How many have had that happen? A number of you have. That is a direct spiritual attack. Read it in Job chapter 4. You can see it just delineate almost like that. My hair stood up on my end. A spirit approached me and whatever. That happened to me from 1990 to 94 every night before I started a conference. Every night, 3 o'clock in the morning. I learned to deal with that immediately. And the key there is submit to God, resist the devil. Call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. I couldn't call upon the name of the Lord. I would just, I felt like I was overcome by this overwhelming power. It's all deception, folks. It's not. But I felt just paralyzed. But you can always turn to God inwardly, because God knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The devil doesn't. But God does. And all you got to do is submit to God first, resist the devil. All you'd have to say is Jesus. That's all you'd have to say. Stops. That's what really caught Daryl when he attended my first conference. Somebody finally explained those, med, those nighttime terrors to him. Nobody ever had before and didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, you know, somebody finally gave me some explanation of that. What in the world is going on? 
Folks, you can't do my kind of ministry and not have some opposition out there. The devil does not like Neil Anderson. Doesn't like you either, you know, so you're in the same boots I'm in. But uh, uh, learning that and helping other people, just process that simple little thing. But you know that person who experiences that? He's going to know from that time on, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, so, you know, why are there no instructions in the epistles to cast a demon out of anybody? That authority and power was given to the 12 and to the 70, but it wasn't universal, I don't believe, at that time. It was only universal at Pentecost, where you're to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and every believer that's born again is seated with Christ in heavenly. So you have the authority to do God's will, and the power provided you abide in Christ. Try to do his work in the flesh. It's your choice, too, by the way. But you better do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, so there are no instructions that I know of anywhere in the epistles now to cast a demon out of anybody. Why not? You're in our new covenant. It's no longer the outside's you know, responsibility. It's the individual's responsibility to submit to God and resist the devil. Now you have a very definitive passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. <clears throat> the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant re them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Not a power model, folks. We prayed to this for years, you know, power encounters. You hear that in good seminaries. It's, it's not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. Truth sets people free. All the power we need has already been given to us. I pray that your eyes would be open, that you would know the power that has been given to you who believe. There's not a verse in the Bible where you're to pursue power. You already have it. So, what are the criteria here? Number one, most critical. You have to be the Lord's bondservant. We all have our pet things and, and, and priorities that we like to assume and whatever else. But the number one prerequisite, I believe personally, to be effective and an instrument in God's hand is to be a Lord's bondservant. It's not a question to me of learning just techniques of counseling. To me, it's an encounter with God. So if God is present in, in this room right now and we're connecting with him, that's going to be the answer. I can tell people the truth. They choose not to believe it. That's their choice. But I, I, you know, if I love them enough, I'm going to give them that opportunity to make that choice and tell them why they need to take it rather than me. Uh, best way to illustrate that, by, by the way, is borderline personality. As professional counselors, but they like to counsel somebody who's got borderline personality. They run <laughs> as fast as they can. You got them in your church, too, by the way. <coughs> I think I actually figured out <clears throat> what the baseline issue is there. <clears throat> They're looking for somebody to fix them. And they will go and lean on you, and, uh, and you can't fix them, and they'll turn around, badmouth you, and go to somebody else. <clears throat> I've just seen that repeated all over the place. I'm, they have a deep underlying belief that I've got to find that person who can fix me. And they'll go from one to another and they'll never find them. I shared that in England. The girl comes up afterwards. She said, I was borderline. I said, I can see that. <laughs> My arms are cut, you know. And she said, what you, 
what you said is absolutely true. I was looking for the person. I was so desperate, I went into a mall and stuck uh, a knife in my gut. And uh, just desperate. And uh, somebody told me about freedom in Christ. And the good family actually took me into the house. They told me who I was in Christ and told me that I had the authority and the power to deal with these issues. And she said, but you need to tell them one thing else. He said, when you are borderline like that, you are so desperate and you have no confidence in yourself that you're looking for that one kind of a person. And I understand that, I said. I said, but if that person is really understanding, they're going to sit down and help you realize what it really means to be a child of God. And you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're looking for somebody else to do that for you, no, it doesn't say them. It says you. Are you beginning to get some picture of why it is so foundational to, be, to know who you are in Christ and all the benefits that come with that? Can't be overstated. I'll say it again. The, the greatest determinant of your fruitfulness in ministry is your own personal identity and security in Christ. If you're secure in Christ and you know who you are as a child of God, you can just say, the devil, you can't touch me. I'm a child of God. I believe that with all my soul. I've had people tell me afterwards, you know, I, I came with a knife to stab you. <laughs> One girl had razor blades in her Bible. You know, it's just like, I said, does that scare you? No. God's my protection. What if they killed you? Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> my pain is over. <laughs> I'd rather die in my boots than uh, some hospital someplace. Anyway, let's go on. Must not be quarrelsome. Arguing with people doesn't get you anywhere. Have you discovered that? People just want to argue, but they don't want to resolve anything, so they just want to argue. I said, well, go out there and start without me. I'll be out there in five minutes. Now, the truth of the matter is, however, if, if a pastor is discerning, assuming his responsibility to make sure his church is getting truth, I'll sit with you all night. If you really are looking to, to a good explanation and a good answer, and we'll work together, and I'll learn from it as well. But if you, you just got people who just want to argue, I said, don't waste my time. You know, I, 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 I've, I've just learned to just defer out of that as, almost immediately. It's like we're arguing with a Jehovah Witness. You know, you got two people on the step. Neither one of you are, are teachable. So just admit it and say goodbye. <laughs> and... Um, you know what I do? I say, you know, the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, let's pray together. Would you pray with me that God would give us wisdom? They won't do it. They'll leave. So anyway, that's a quick out if you need one. And uh, kind to all. Can't be overstated. Let me prove it. No, it's not proof, but illustrate it. Okay, ladies, if you had a choice in us men to be either <clears throat> strong, virtuous, manly, or kind, which one would you rather have us be? Kind. kind. Same answer all over the world. Now, one lady in Singapore said, well, I'd like him to be a man, too. I said, well, that's true. He'd like you to be a lady, too. Anyway, it was, uh, uh, why is that so important? One act of unkindness, your ministry is done. It's over. They'll just clam up. You've heard the last. Done. Move on. 
They may forgive you and come back years later and say, I just want you to know why I hated you so bad two years ago. <laughs> now I've forgiven you, but it's, it's done. And able to teach. That's not necessarily communicate. Teach there is dedicate. That's more about content. Why? Truth sets people free. You have to know the truth in order to be able to detect the error. And uh, uh, so you are trying to bring truth to bear. When people say, make a statement, you know, and you say, now, is that true according to the scripture? Just ask them. Don't tell them the answer. Just ask them a question. I find asking questions is a lot. They're not defensive then. I said, uh, why, do, why do you believe that? They said, well, I don't know. I just kind of always have. Do you think it's true? What, what, you have a choice to make. Which one do you want to believe? And I, I respect that, by the way. People say, I don't want to deal with that right now. I said, okay, let me know when you're ready. You know, I love you. I'll be here for you. But truth of the matter is, if they go halfway through the steps and don't want to do the next one, I said, okay. Doesn't happen. Hardly ever, to be honest with you. But if, if they say that, prefer that, I said, okay. I'm here for you. You tell me you want to come back. Pave the way back. Some do, some don't. And uh, anyway, uh, patient with wrong. It does take great patience, folks. I got to be honest with you. And, and frankly... I'm going to make a pitch for something here, and one or two of you may get it, but if I had a chance to work, I'm, I'm not t- talking about learning, long-term learning things, but if I had a chance to work with a person for five consecutive hours or 50 minutes a week for six months, I'll take that five hours every time, and I'll accomplish more in that five hours than you will in that six months. I'm talking about trying to work through resolution, you open up that wound and then don't close it, they're going to go back to the worst week in their life. And uh, no surgeon will open a wound and not close it in the same surgery, you know, if they can, if they can help it. Uh, so I'm going to say, one guy told me, he said, I've helped others, I've been a counselor for years, but I need some help myself. He got to that prayer and he had 40 people he needed to forgive. He said, you don't have enough time. I said, I'll spend all night if I have to. And I meant it. And he knew it. And he started to cry. He said, you're the first person that's ever said that to me. It's not a time to exercise. When I make appointments, if I know it's going to be a tough case, I'll give him a day. If it's probably not going to be that tough, I'll give him a morning or an afternoon. And... Uh, and I will be far more effective doing that. Now, that's a different thing from learning. You can only learn so much at one time. And so, but if you want to actually open up that wound and allow God to come in, one of the most common things that we hear all around the world is, I've never shared this with anybody ever before. Is that because of my personal skills? No. It's God who's surfacing that. And in that particular setting, when the conviction of God comes, the power to change comes with it. It's all these emphasis on developing this skill so I can pull out your story and explain with great precision why you're all screwed up. So, how much have you helped them? What you did is you gave them a built-in excuse as to why I'm not doing well. So it's really my mother and my dad that are causing me all these problems. Isn't that true when you think about it? I said, but when the Spirit comes along and suddenly all those issues start to surface, you know, the conviction to change comes with it. 
I was in Scottsdale Bible Church, and the guy on the front was glaring at me. I mean, you can't miss that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> first night, her friend came over and said, can you talk to my friend? She can't get off the front pew. <laughs> so I said, just leave her alone. She'll be fine in a few minutes. And they will be. And um, so when I talked to all the folks, I went back to her. I said, uh, how can I help you? Well, it turned out she was a psychiatric nurse driving up from uh, Tucson, big drive, to go to this conference in Scottsdale. We actually found her a house to stay in. But uh, she told me she had driven by a gun shop for three straight weeks, fighting off the temptation to bring a gun to bring the cops to shoot me. I don't even know this girl. And... Uh, and we got to the, the steps on a rebellion, and, and I mean, it just was really fascinating what happened. And here she is, she's a psychiatric nurse. And uh, at the end of the week, her life was so transformed that she gave me a big old package, and I opened it up, and I got home. It was one of those foot washers. You put water in it, you know, and it heats it up and vibrates a little bit. And she said, you washed my feet, let me wash yours. It was really cute. It was... Uh, but notice this passage. How does this start? You've got to be dependent upon God. Who's the one who grants repentance? According to the passage. If perhaps God may grant repentance. What does it do? Leading to a knowledge of the truth. What sets you free? Truth. Having escaped the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. It's not a power model. It's a kind, compassionate, able to teach model. Uh, if you want to be effective in, in, in discipling people, get them through something like this first and then watch them grow. And I, I have people tell me all the time, I said, read your Bible now. What do you say? Well, I'm in Christ. I'm in him. I'm in the blood. Why didn't I see that before? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, it's, uh, it is. Why don't we see this? Have I told you anything here that isn't just core stuff in Christian in the Bible? If I have, what have I said to you? Isn't it truth <laughs> that sets us free? You got to have a biblical worldview, however. You got to get out of our Western orientation. You depend. I have. I was just totally oriented to our Western rationalism and naturalism. That's humanism. But if you're a, a true bondservant of Christ, then you're at that point in your life where you're saying, I know apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Nothing of lasting of consequences is going to take place in my ministry if I'm not personally dependent upon God. I personally think that all temptation is an attempt to get us to live our lives independent of God, to lean on our own understanding instead of in all ways acknowledging Him. We say those verses, but we don't always put them into practice. And uh, so I think you guys are doing the greatest work in the world. You know, uh, I'm 100% sold on discipleship is the answer, and it needs to belong in our churches. Uh, if Neil Anderson wanted to open up clinics around the country, frankly, I think I could do pretty well. I don't believe in that. I believe in the church. I believe in you. I believe that God intends this to be done in the church. And, uh, and so what I'm doing, and I'll do it until God calls me home, is to do the best I can to equip the church so they can turn around. We have an online university you can tie into. You're going to go through over victory, darkness, and bondage breaking. They both sold a couple million copies. 
And uh, you'll be given a practicum where you can go through and learn how to do this. Pastor, if you're a pastor here, you got two or three people like that in your church, you've got a gift you won't imagine. You can turn some of that stuff over to them, refer them out to somebody in your church that's godly. 95% of, of our work around the world right now is being done by lay people. All those, that research stuff, by choice. The only thing was choice in that was that all of the people leading the folks through the steps were lay people. We wanted to show this is not a professional ministry in that regard. What we need is godly people who know scripture. That's what we need. Godly people who know God, know Jesus, know the truth. They can be an instrument in God's hands to set captives free. And I'll tell you what, it'll hook you. Once you just sat down with a person and watched God change that person right in front of you, you're hooked. I mean, you'll walk out of there feeling better than you ever had after having a Dairy Queen. <laughs> Any questions? Well, you've been great. God bless. That was fantastic stuff from Neil and from Daryl and everybody at Freedom in Christ Ministries. Hope that you enjoyed those last few episodes. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes. I got links to a lot of Neil's books so that if you need help or if you know somebody that needs help in this area, you have the resources to be the disciple maker that God is forming you to be. Thanks so much for listening and for being a part of this community. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. And I want to ask you to hit subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And check out discipleship.org slash collective for even more disciple making resources. All right. Have a great day. See y'all later. <laughs>